0: Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. And I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of
1: food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes.
0: And don't forget our Words in Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. welcome to corks and conversation with mariko tamaki
1: yes i am so excited to talk to her you know kathy i'm a fan of ya and so i love to get to read a good ya book for work (laughs) and um she also writes comics and graphic novels which is unique among our
0: guests so i'm excited oh i am too she's this is gonna be a fascinating conversation she has such a really interesting and broad background. Um, But first, let me tell everybody about her. Mariko is a Canadian writer of comics and prose, as you say, Christy. She writes comic books for Boom Studios. And I want to say Boom, because it's Boom with an exclamation, so it makes me happy. Okay, that's perfect. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) I've been practicing all afternoon. Um, She has written for Marvel and DC Comics. Um, She is the co-creator of the New York Times bestseller, This One Summer with Jillian Tamaki, cousin, I believe, just saying, uh-huh. which received Eisner and Governor General Awards, as well as Caldecott and Prince Honors. And she they were the Prince Honor winner. Um, she's also written Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me with Rosemary Valero O'Connell. And Mariko lives in Oakland, California currently. Her latest book, which I'm going to hold up because I love the cover, It's called Cold.
1: I like the back, too. See, look. Oh, there
0: you go. That's perfect. (laughs) It is a a haunting YA, as Christy said, young adult novel about a shocking crime in a quiet town with four students who knew too much and said too little. So Mariko, welcome.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk
0: to you.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, before we get started, we like to mention the wine. And so today, we're kind of, we're doing a double thing. Because <laughs> I do have
0: double too. <laughs> yes. It,
1: we have red wine and seltzer yes. because...
0: Here's the seltzer. Yes, Ooh, cool for bottle.
1: sure, because in the book and, you know, the red wine kind of fits, you know, because it's young adult and they're still in their mom's wine. Yep. You know, so that's happening and then the seltzer is what they should have been drinking and <laughs> what they were drinking the next day after drinking
0: mom's stolen wine. So we're going to oh do God. it. <laughs> okay, so Let's have a toast to the brand new release of cold. Cheers to you. Cheers. Thank you very much. As we are recording this, um, Mariko's book just came out yesterday. We're recording it did, this yeah. on the 9th. So congratulations
2: on your book birthday. Thank you. I know. Yes. I love the the creation of the book birthday. It used to be the sort of book launch. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like it's easier to just say it's a book birthday. Yeah. yeah. It's having a nice dinner. That's all yes.
0: good. Yep. <laughs>
1: absolutely <laughs> I love
0: it. it seems like less pressure when you say book birthday versus launch it seems like that's a lot more work
2: well and I think that it also you know speaks to the sort of labor of making a book mm. you know I think that it's it like means, giving birth well I mean I've never given birth so I don't know <laughs> but I do think that for so many people you know because writing is such an invisible thing you know, and you work for years on these things mm-hmm. and then they sort of come out. And I think it's just kind of like an ode to the sort of the effort that goes into writing your yes. book that you get to call it a book birthday as opposed to like just your book is up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Because there's okay. labor involved that people don't often realize. Yeah.
2: And you had <laughs> it's to a lot of it. you sitting alone. It's lonely yeah. labor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> you yeah. had to birth it. Okay. So let's get into cold. I'm going to he- hold up this cover because I just think this is so great.
2: I know, right? It. Sarah Maxwell, I think, is the artist. It's She's so amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
0: beautiful. And I love, like you say, so you'll notice two different people on the front and the back. And this is a young adult. But as Chrissy and I have discussed many times, young adult novels are enjoyed many, many, many times by adults, by adult readers. And mm-hmm. we are two of them that can attest. This is a great read. My kids are out of high school now, so they don't really um, listen to me when I give them book suggestions at this point. But this totally would have been on my list, one that we both would have enjoyed and been able to talk about. And I I would highly recommend that for anyone. Yeah, I
1: I did read a little. My daughter's... You did say that, yeah. 23? Anyway, but um, I read like the first couple chapters this weekend because we were out somewhere and we had some time. And so I have her hooked. I didn't let her read the rest of it because I had to bring it back and read it myself, (laughs) but she's got it. She's going to read it right before she gets out of town. Yeah. Well,
2: I mean, the thing I say to people about young adult books is that they are about young adults It's kind of the mainstay of YA is it's about the experience of being a young adult. And I think that that really just covers such a spectrum of experiences. I think that there Mm -hmm. are young adult books that feel closer to middle grade to me. And Mm -hmm. there are young adult books that feel closer to adult fiction um, mm-hmm. And I think that that spectrum makes sense when you think about, like, there are young adult lives that are, you know, sort of delve into things that are less, more or less mature, depending on where you're at as like a, as a person. Right. So, right. I mean, I think I've had people tell me that the book seems a little violent for uh, young adult readers. And I just think that that's the spectrum of young adult readers is just so vast. I think that there's just a different young adult book for every reader. I think so too.
0: And I think also um, people's impression of what is too violent or too something for young adult readers, it's a little risky to say that because our young adults are having lives that we as adults don't always know the depth of those lives. So, um, okay. So let's get into what cold is about. I'll I'll let everybody know it it is a young adult thriller. I would say it's about a death of um, a young adult teen, Todd Mayer, who's now He's Lurking like a ghost, kind of around, which is a really
1: cool <laughs> premise. I really I cool say. premise.
0: <laughs> he's kind of hovering right around over his body, and he's walking. but it's not ghoulish, no, you no. know. No. That's the there's difference, enough? yeah. Yeah, and so there's a detective who's investigating his death. Todd's he's replaying the events, but then there's also this character, our narrator, Georgia, and I love this. She didn't know Todd, they had some similarities. There was some other things, but she is who we're seeing this through. And it is just a page turner. Christy told me she read it in one sitting.
1: Other than that first two chapters with my daughter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I am, there's so much we have to unpack with you, but I'm so curious how this story came to you. Just the premise, like you said, with, with this young, um, young man and his death and his being around in this Georgia. So how did this all come to you?
2: Um, Well, there was a couple things. One, I am an avid reader of murder mysteries. I love murder mysteries. And I think I had avoided them because I thought they would be really hard to write. So I thought like, nobody wants, it's like, you know, when you see in Great British Bake Off where they're like, who would try to make that? And it's like, let's just try, (laughs) let's do this. (laughs) Um, So I had the idea of doing a murder mystery. And then separately, I had been trying. I was actually my girlfriend pointed out recently, my girlfriend, Heather Gold, who's also a writer and artist, was like, you're sort of revisiting all of these kind of books from your childhood. And one book that has particularly haunted me is Lord of the Flies, William Golding's Lord of the Flies, Mm. um, because I was always obsessed with the character of Piggy, with this boy who sort of sees, is like a little more insightful, is like a little louder than he maybe should safely be. Mm -hmm. And he, you're sort of like part of what you're learning is basically foreshadowing, right? Like you're kind of watching this kid walk towards, you know, the ending of his story. Mm -hmm. No spoilers if you did not read Lord of the Flies in grade nine. Um, But (laughs) I was always obsessed with that character and with this just idea of what that character is supposed to stand for, right? Like Mm
0: -hmm. that the
2: character sort of stands for a lack of empathy or for like the kind of other side of the savage nature and mm-hmm. I just thought at the same time, he's not the narrator of his story, right? Like we're sort of just, he's kind of the, the sort of like subplot of what's happening to the main character, Ralph. Mm-hmm. So I've always wanted to do something with that character and to do something with just that feeling of peril and what it feels like to feel like that you are in a dangerous situation and that you are not safe mm-hmm. and like how different people adapt to that. So I had the story of Todd and it was becoming more of a murder mystery. And then I felt like there was just something about that being the only story that felt very grim to me because it is a grim story, right? There's not Mm -hmm, a lot of hope mm -hmm. in the story of Piggy and there's not a lot of hope in the story of a boy who dies, um, Mm -hmm. especially in like the first pages of the book. And so I just thought I wanted somebody else to sort of be the other note in the book that is not necessarily like the counterbalance, like she's not the opposite of Todd, but she is making slightly different decisions and taking a slightly different take on similar situations and what it Mm -hmm. means to be the outsider who is kind of in this, what feels like a precarious situation. Right. And I just thought in terms of kind of going between those two things, it felt less like this like death walk to the end <laughs> No, the I,
1: that's truthful when you when you think mm-hmm. about it and you're like going i don't want to know this poor guy died in the beginning but then it the way you handled it and then you focus on this other living character so we have that hope even though we're delving into the life of the person that's passed away you know so i thought that was You did it
2: good. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, it was really like it took forever to write. Probably was the longest book that I've ever taken to write because, yeah, it was just A, it was hard to write a burner mystery. And B, I just felt like I really owed the story a different kind of ending than what was the obvious ending.
0: Mm -hmm. I just
2: felt like I didn't want it to be just this kind of like that this is the victim in the book and this is the not victim in the book, I wanted there to feel like they were both part of the story in a way that felt more balanced, but that just took forever. (laughs) Right.
0: When you say forever, how long does forever mean for you? Because you're very productive.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm also always writing other things, so that affects it. Um, Not that I would want to say that to my editor, who was incredibly patient, Um, (laughs) but um, I think I was, I thought I was going to turn around this book in like a year. And I think it looked, I think it took something closer to three years.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm.
2: Just because I stopped and started. Like I wrote a story Mm -hmm. that was just Todd. I wrote a story that was just, like I literally wrote four of these books before it was the book that it is now. It's so interesting. Do you think
0: you needed to write Georgia and write Todd before you could figure out how to bring them?
2: Yeah, I wrote Georgia and I wrote Todd and I think it made me, you know, I do think a lot of writing and a lot of what we talk about, especially for YA is empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think that I took writing a couple drafts. I think I really gained more empathy for these characters as I was writing these different drafts. And um, and then once I had a lot of empathy, I realized like, you know, part of it is like, it's, there's like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this whole thing. <laughs> so you're going to have to stay to the, you know, if you have a character, something happened to a character on Wednesday, then the next thing has to happen to somebody on Thursday, or you have to be really clear that it's still Wednesday. Right. So a lot of it was just fiddling with that and trying not to make it look like, you don't want to see all the seams of like, I'm trying to make it clear that this is Wednesday because I need it to be Wednesday.
1: <laughs> right. Well, which, which you didn't. I mean, was lovely. you Thanks. did or you didn't. I don't know which, how do yeah. I say that?
0: Anyway, you
1: did it right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was seamless. Anyway. So also, I really liked and you explore so many different topics that are really important for teens and are on the forefront in the news. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like bullying LGBTQ plus bystander syndrome kind of was a term that I was kind of learning, but I was like, yep, that's there. And their characters are so real. And you wove them really well, and now I know why, because you did it separately. Um, But don't you think, I mean, isn't it important to have in every genre, like mystery versus, you know, I don't know what they call contemporary, to have all these topics and diversity shown to these, to kids, but also adults, because some of us read young adult, like we said, so it helps, and, and they understand each other and their differences. And can we talk a little bit about? Sure. That
2: I do think that it comes down to like a diversity of characters and the different things that impact different characters' lives. Like really seeing, like you know, not to be academic about it, but really seeing the intersectionality of these characters, and you know that it's about. Race, it's about class, it's about sexuality, it's about gender. Like, I think that it's one thing to introduce a topic, but it's another thing to say, to try to explore more all the sort of facets of a person's life. Like, you know, I think one of the things about a lot of YA is that nobody goes to school, right? Like, (laughs) especially on television, you have these kids who are teenagers and you're like, they never go to school, though, right? (laughs) So they never have to go into a classroom and sit in the classroom and even read the things that you read in a classroom. Like for mm-hmm. me, a huge part of the things that I experienced, you know, in terms of the different aggressions and outsiderness that I felt mm-hmm. had to do with sitting in a desk in a room and not just like what I was, you know, with, who I was with, but I, what I was being taught. Right. So I think like all of those things, all those layers are a part of, and then that's when things kind of come up, you know, organically, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, LGBTQ issues come up in my writing because almost all my characters are queer because I am queer. But I think that the other part of that is, you know, like I, I'm a queer person. I'm an Asian person. I also grew up with quite a bit of privilege in terms of, you know, in terms of class. Like I went to an all girls private school. So like there's all these things at play. And that's why, you know, part of me when I was starting to work on this book was like, oh yeah, also part of what's happening at this kid's school is there's kids who have SUVs and there's kids who don't have SUVs. Mm -hmm. Like it is also a part of, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the, all the sort of various push and pulls of privilege and power that are happening in those spaces.
1: Mm -hmm. I was going to just say, I feel like a lot of times as adult authors, when we're writing about that age group, sometimes I think we try to gloss it over. And I think that's the worst thing to do because you want to kind of, but it's, it might be painful for the writer or something. So it's really refreshing to see that, you know, you're just diving right in, you know, because the issues that come up are not new. Sure. There are issues that were when I was young and things like that, but Mm -hmm. now... I mean, I hope, I feel like my kids are much more attuned to diversity in all types.
2: Yeah. I mean, those characters have always been there. Just the discussion around them is changing, right? Like, So I do think that that is, like, I think the kids are just way ahead of even, you know, my generation Mm -hmm. when it comes to their ability to discuss things. I had a conversation with a 12-year-old boy once about a character in This One Summer who has a miscarriage and he was like that must have been like that just seems so sad and scary and I was like what the hell is going on (laughs) I know like how does he even understand this I was (laughs) like it is sad and scary and that's insane or that's very interesting that you can say that to me I mean 12 yeah, I know. Honestly, I was just like, I had to go outside and have like a little lie down a after that because it was like, so intense. <laughs> but I do think that the discussions of things, you know, like when I grew up, nobody even talked about queerness. There was no, no, like, yeah, it wasn't coming up.
0: I have kids that are 19 and 20. So they aren't that far away from me still going with them to buy books. Like, you know, and, and we would discuss together just because we all like books. I I cannot recall... Even five or six or seven years ago, a, a, a book about a, a queer kid, a gay kid, I, I can't even recall having that readily available to them. I'm sure there were a few, but I mean, now I think there are so many more characters of, like you say, all kinds of things being shown up. And it's that's such a great,
2: but sad, <laughs> like sad that like we're like, whoo. Yeah, the conversation is expanding beyond mm-hmm. the communities that they were originally a part of. I mean, yeah. I knew when I was a you know in my twenties all oh, the queer books, but I don't think that most of the people that I knew who were street, certainly my parents weren't like, yeah, Alison Bechtel's amazing, you know, like it yeah. wasn't coming up. <laughs> yeah. But now that is a part of something larger than just, you know, I think that there's an awareness that those stories are interesting and are relevant to people beyond Mm -hmm. just the immediate community. I mean, we still as a community need them and want them, but I even think it's, you know, we're having more discussion like, you know, in terms of having like white queer characters versus understanding like that BIPOC queer characters Mm -hmm. are, you know, are also like that when we're talking about diversity, it's not just about having like one version of a thing that it's about multiple versions. Yeah.
1: And I think that's uh, that has been this the trend in the past was, oh, you know, token, token. But I really like how there's, like, mm-hmm. real depth, in-depth characters of all different mm-hmm. types. Because I think that is the way that we get everybody to get along, <laughs> kind of.
2: Well, it's <laughs> the start, hope. sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I mean it that- seems like it, yeah. I mean, the stories that are, the stories are changing. I mean, it was definitely a choice that I thought a lot about to have a character who is, I think the thing that I wanted is for all the queer characters in the book to be out, but that for that experience to be very different, like both Mm -hmm. Georgia and Todd are, you know, people at their school know that they are gay or they're queer, Mm -hmm. but the actual ramifications of that are very different for both characters.
0: Right. it has to go beyond representation. Like, I think initially representation was just like, let's just get to representation, like a broad scheme of representation. But now, the actual lives beyond just representation, the label mm-hmm. is lovely to um, see.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's an ever evolving conversation, like even in terms of what representation means and what it means to have like, you know, what stories out there and what stories are. I mean, like, you know, I am aware as a queer author that one of the characters, there is a trope of a gay character dying and the sort of tragic gay character. So I definitely was concerned about that, writing this book. And I think interesting thing is to have more conversations about what those depictions mean, as opposed to just Mm -hmm. saying like, this depiction is bad and this depiction is good. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: So how do you, how do you handle that? So when you, like, when you are thinking about writing it initially and how you're going to talk to somebody and your agent or your editor, how do you think, okay, I, I want, I know this is a trope, but how do, how do, how do you express or how do you even work through breaking through that?
2: I mean, I think you're responsible for everything that you write. So you're always making a choice to write the story that you're, you know, and make the depictions that you're going to make. I try to talk to other people and I have, you know, I think every writer has like a trusted circle of people that they can talk to about the things they're concerned about with their books, Mm -hmm. including, you know, your editor. Mine was Connie Sue and she's an incredibly talented editor at Roaring Brook. Um, and I think Shout it's a back Connie and forth. Sue. Shout out, Connie Sue. <laughs> uh, I do think that it is a back and forth. I told them that I wanted to write this murder mystery. And then I think my approach when I got nervous about it was I tried to just be as like honest as I could about what I was trying to do. That And that the goal was always like a detailed depiction that was emotional and that was you know trying to be like trying to be as honest as possible, whatever that means for every writer um, mm-hmm. and sort of sticking with that. Like, I think that, I mean, it's funny. It's like, I feel like being a writer now is like a proliferation of opinions. Right. Like, you know, I think that, you know, it used to be that when you wrote a book and then you would get like one review or like three reviews <laughs> And your mom would be like, I don't really get it, but it's so great that <laughs> sure. you do know this thing. It's so cool. Um, my mom's been actually very good, so I shouldn't say that. But um, She sounds supportive. My mom, I listen, as I say in the acknowledgments, my parents paying my rent is the reason that I could be a writer for as long. I, I love like, that, actually. For years, my parents paid my rent, and that's how I was able to do what I do now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that you really have to decide, You really whatever you write has to come from you, and you have to find a way that you could stay true to that because it's really like an, it is another force, an external force that is the like other people's thoughts about what you do right. that is present and is sometimes really relevant and is sometimes really overwhelming. And you have to figure out what to, figuring out what to do that is a huge part of being a writer today.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of lot of avenues and things.
0: <laughs> and out. Okay, so I think it's time for us to take a little refreshing drink. Oh yeah, sure. And it's time for I want to talk about your seltzer situation that you have going on. That looked very cool.
2: My seltzer sister, that they bring the seltzer to your house. Oh my it gosh! Comes Get in a spray it bottle. Out. So you make that that amazing like. <gasps> yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah, I can't okay. take credit for it. But uh, my partner very, came up with ordering this for her house, but it's amazing. Either I'm very easily impressed, or I I don't know. No, that's like, really that cool. Sounds, that, that is it's a cool. great sound. Exciting it's, to me. it's like it's like fifty percent the sound that it <laughs> makes, know. and you get to do the thing, the motion. I like the motion. Yeah, but yeah. I've also drenched multiple tables doing this. <laughs> Whatever you're like, look at this. And then you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Sorry. I'll get you another plate. Sorry about that. <laughs> sorry about <laughs> that. Okay. Sorry. Maybe sorry, you don't know, like
1: somebody can accidentally spray that. Um, <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. You want some water? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if this is the time. Sorry. Side so track. Oh, yeah. We ask our, our guest authors the question in the bottle. We ask Ooh. you a random question that we might get to at the bottom of a bottle.
1: Oh, I love it.
0: Okay. Okay. Oh, this is a
1: fun one. Would you rather be invisible or have x-ray vision
0: oh man i think you asked the right person that question
1: i know i'm thinking she probably has a lot of with her comic um (laughs) background has a lot of different super powers but
2: i mean okay i don't really think i want to be invisible because I feel like I'm an introvert anyway and I can just go to my room if I want to be alone. Oh, okay. Yeah, you you know? like That's a good way. I don't wanna be a voyeur. I don't wanna see things that people can't see me seeing that makes me feel very uncomfortable. But I'm constantly losing my AirPods and my keys. And I feel like having x-ray vision, being able to like stand outside my house and look at my house and be like, just get the like grid view. I feel like that would be really useful. Oh, that's,
0: that's (laughs) a good,
2: good answer. Yeah, that
0: is a good answer. I had never thought about the actual logistical benefit of having x-ray vision before.
1: I know. Because everybody always thinks you're just taking somebody's clothes off right and that would be voyeur and you don't want to do that
2: i would be wearing glasses most of the time so that i wouldn't see that i would have x-ray vision i would mostly not want to see things
1: (laughs) i definitely want to be invisible i mean that's the childhood spy in me i'd want to be able to sneak around with nobody knowing and
2: (laughs) well i'm a good eavesdropper anyway and frankly people are so unaware i think because people have cell phones and airpods now i think people's awareness of their personal space has just gone out the window Yeah, I have had, I have sat next to people having really loud, detailed conversations that you're like, I'm right here. I (laughs) know. I don't know who Judith is, but (laughs) I know everything now. So, So, my
0: worst fear is the person next to us does know who Judith is. And the person (laughs) that's (laughs) the thing. Yeah. You live in a
1: small town. I do. I'm thinking in the airport, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the bus. That's the bus another airport
2: one. is just the perfect setting for because train is not good because it's too loud, the ambient yeah. noise.
1: Mm-hmm. But bus,
2: just sitting next to someone on the bus while they're talking about someone they don't like. I'm, you know, and I just look at the personnel like I'm totally listening to what's I happening. Know. I'm Bear not even them. pretending. I can pretend to play Scrabble on my phone, but why bother? You I don't know. Have to know. <laughs> I'm just gonna watch you play out your life.
1: Yeah, good to know. Yeah, this is what I'm gonna write about in my next novel <laughs> or comic or.
2: Yeah, like you just hear these amazing turns of phrase. My partner and I'll be sitting, you know, just hear these incredible things that people will say. We're just both like, wow, that's really good. <laughs> yeah. Quickly yeah, write down. it
1: down. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay i love that. all right i have
0: to say i harry potter's invisibility cloak is just too attractive to me i i yeah i That's i too am true. an introvert and i could i would love to like go to the grocery store and be like oh uh,
2: i just put my headphones in and i don't really care oh, yeah you know I like i that. feel like she lives to- in a
0: small town and she's well yeah, known. Maybe that's so, the thing. Yeah. That's maybe. like
2: what it means to be like always living in a city that I feel like nobody really knows who I am anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting. Cause we used to live in Minneapolis and we we were from a small town. We moved to Minneapolis and moved back. And I, I didn't realize, um, I didn't realize how much anonymity I had in the cities until I moved back. And then I was gone and it was lovely. Cause I loved seeing everybody I knew but I also really felt that loss of anonymity. Um, so, hence, invisibility cloak.
2: <laughs> yeah. I will say the one time is whenever you go to any library association or any kind of con. Yeah. And if you've been on a panel and then you're in the elevator on your way up to your room afterwards and someone's like, I just saw you on a panel. And you're like, oh, that's great. Oh, I just really yeah. don't want to talk anymore. Yeah. Invisibility so like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, I'm so sorry. I'm just super honest. I'm like, I really just don't want to talk anymore. (laughs) And and I'm done talking now. Yeah, I can't. We're going to be quiet. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's why I love like, you know, on our cell phones where we have the, um, Mm -hmm call ID I'm just like uh, it's the end of the day if it's not an emergency but
0: <laughs> it's me whatever. that she blocks I'm just saying it's no me. never <laughs> well never. most calls
2: now aren't even for you so it doesn't really matter <laughs>
0: that's true yeah all right so
1: okay. you are a very diverse writer and creator as we've mm. been mentioning you've got graphic yeah. novels and comics and um I just find Graphic novels, so interesting. And I mean, I'm not an artist. I'm the writer's aspect. uh, And I wonder how much you do of the art versus the art of writing and the collaboration. I mean, how do you do that? Because I read a few pages of one of your graphic novels. So I was like, because I'd never really read a graphic novel. And it was just so fascinating. The the pictures were so in depth and it was kind of cool how the some of the pictures told the story and then you had some words that would go along with it and i'm like oh my gosh how did they do this how did you collaborate that because that's like did one of you say okay i'm going to do this story and you do this picture on this or (laughs) do you do some of the pictures I don't draw at all. Yeah, I am
2: not an artist. So I had the privilege of working with really amazing artists. Um, And really a huge part of writing for any kind of comic graphic novel project is that you are not doing the lion's share of the work. Like really the script is the smallest part of, like in terms of time especially, of that kind of project. Um, And the other thing is there's really no one way to write them. I mean, I stumbled into comics and the first one I ever did uh, with my cousin Jillian Um, was a book called Skim, and I didn't really know how to write a comic. I had never seen a comic script before, but I had worked in theater. So I just wrote it as like a theater script, which is kind of works because it's acts and scenes. It's like sort of like I didn't detail the page or the illustration. I just sort of told the story because it was a diary. So I had the sort of diary captions. I had a basic you know, description of what was happening during the story. And then I had what are called captions, which is like any kind of, um any kind of storytelling well no captions are basically there's dialogue which is what the characters say and the captions are sort of like any kind of text on a page that is a character's thought or is sort of like a, a sort of line of storytelling that isn't actually being spoken by a person on the page
1: okay um
2: so i just did yeah i treated it like a play um and then my cousin basically sort of took what I wrote and made a graphic novel is what I would say um but that's not always the way it works I think it really depends on who you're working with I've worked with artists who are sort of much more like especially working in graphic novels so the people that I've worked with on graphic novels it's much more it is a co-creation like it is you start the story And you're sort of like laying out the characters and you're laying out sort of the details, some of the details of what the story is. And then the actual sort of like manifestation of the story, kind of similar to what you would think of for theater or for television or movies. Like the actual manifestation of it is the artist, except in this case, the artist is the actors and the director and the, you know. oh that's that it that
1: makes it really clear much more clear to me because i was like how in the world (laughs)
2: right but that it depends because when i write for dc comics like when i write batman books for dc comics uh that is a much more i think because the timeline is so much shorter and because the turnover is much quicker uh which is the same thing uh you you (laughs) have to sort of consolidate things much more so when i write for like a batman comic i write what's called like panels which is you write the page and you do like panel descriptions you say how many panels are going to be on the page what's happening in those panels and then you also do the dialogue and the captions so it's much more detailed and regimented which is not to say there's not like interpretation and sort of changes that the artist makes as you're still like co-storyteller but Mm -hmm. just it just uh it's just a little more regimented
1: right right Cause that's what I was thinking when I, until I looked at those pages and I'm like going, okay, this is not like a comic. This is different.
0: <laughs> yeah. So how, yeah. Which comes first? I mean, is, it, does it depend on who you're working with? Like who is, I mean, do you get drawing sometimes first and then they ask you to add?
2: Or For do you... graphic novels, it's generally that the script comes first. Okay. Usually what happens is um, I will pitch a story to a publisher or I will pitch a story in some cases like working with Jillian because we are related and because we sort of work much more closely than myself and the average other creator. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it's me talking to my creator or talking to the publisher about what I think the story is gonna be and seeing if that's the thing that you know my co-creator artist wants to spend the next three years of their life working on. <laughs> small investment yeah it's huge (laughs) uh and then kind of coming up with for me working with Jillian there's usually a much more of a back and forth in terms of the outline and in terms of like sort of shaping the story and a lot of that sort of shaping continues when like Jillian especially is actually working on the book because like the actual manifesting of it usually requires like making changes and the story has to make sense to the illustrator Uh, But in the case of, for example, Laura Dean, I worked with an editor, Calista Brill, at first, second. And she and I did a lot of that shaping. And I actually gave a script to Rosemary Valera um, O'Connell, which she then obviously, you know, like people, the amount of storytelling in a visual, in the sort of visual work of comics is so huge. Like, I think that there is this kind of, and I think it's kind of, I think that generally... There's been a lack of conversation about the collaborative nature of art. I think people like to think of creators or like to think of the writer as being like the sort of like, who's the most important or like mm-hmm. who is telling the story. But really most stories and most mediums, except for say novels, are created by like, you know, multiple people. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because wow. that's, that's what jumped out at me because I was like, okay, that picture said it all. I, you know, I didn't need any but somehow that person knew to do that picture with this story because the next one would, you know, have some lines or something. Yeah. it was I mean, really I think neat.
2: your goal, my goal for working on comics is to create a space to tell a story with somebody else. Like you really have to be very open to the idea that it's, you are one of the storytellers, not the storyteller. Huh.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think because I grew up in theater, especially, and because I grew up in, you know, performance art and doing things with other people, but that has always felt really comfortable to me. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, writing is more solitary, obviously, when you're writing a novel, as you say. So I'm curious, I mean, I think that's really interesting that you can do both. I, this leads me into a question that I, I, I was on your website and I, it's really cool, by the way, if you, it's really cool. And um, I launched on, I latched onto a, um, a podcast that you had done. I think this was a bit ago. You said this about making art. You said art is a process where you let loose ideas, but it's also a process of editing and revising. And I was wondering if you could share, because those are such broad you know different processes I would think process processes and I was wondering if you could share your thoughts about that the editing revising versus creating
2: like when you first start as a writer in your creative writing class or whatever you get to do when you're (sighs) a teenager I feel like the first you just feel like you write the story and it's done, right? You're like, oh, I wrote Mm -hmm. the story. It's finished. Yeah. And then you get graded on it. Like maybe you get a teacher who's like, this doesn't make any sense. And I didn't know who this person was, (laughs) but it's done as soon as you finish writing it. And I think it is a really, like it is like another sort of mental process to allow someone to come in and say, this is the beginning. Now you have to do something else and then this will be finished. Hmm. Like it's such a, like when you, whenever I talk to students, you know, whenever you're like editing their work, you know, like it's, it can be a very <laughs> hot process to tell like a 15-year-old like, well, you're just going to, you know, you could just rewrite the opening. And they're like,
0: <laughs> wait.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Do you know how much time person? I spent on this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and especially, you know, like they write it, you know, especially because when I started, you know, you write it in pen. It's not like you're going <laughs> to oh, yeah. rewrite the whole thing in pen. You're just like, it's done. I'm um, sorry were you asking me to do what do I yeah. get extra
0: credit for that
2: right <laughs> and I think that it is like I think that is the sort of that is the difference between being a person who writes things and being a writer a writer edits mm. like it is mm-hmm. a process of taking this idea that you have which is great and the like the most amazing part of an idea is when you first have it you're like this is going to be genius and then you start writing it and you're like this is hard <laughs> This <laughs> sucks. Is <laughs> yeah. and like getting through like like writing is more than an idea, right? Yeah. Writing is the actual like molding and shaping of an idea. It's clarifying an idea. It's getting rid of things that don't work. It's like bringing in things that you don't necessarily like and making them work. Like it's so many other things.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that that is like, it's a process that you have to sort of dread and love, right? Like you mm-hmm. have to be able to, you have to be willing to have that happen. And I think the best editors that I know um, and then I've had a chance to work with have been people who like really work with you in terms of the kind of conversation about it. Like really take your idea and all the things that are working and are not working and expand it into like this world that you're excited to talk about and that you want to do your best job of manifesting. Right. So that that's is cool. That's the wow. sort of, you know, and especially working as an editor now, it's always what I strive to do. is not just come in and say like, this, I didn't get this. <laughs> like <laughs> I didn't understand this because that's the thing you know like whenever you whenever you're in a writing group like the worst writing groups are just people being like I didn't get it yeah like yeah. What? this what one doesn't make you. sense to
1: me and I'm like yeah. okay well you're like oh <laughs> man
2: I hate you and I hate you <laughs> <I'm> None <laughs> <believing>. of <laughs> you understand my brilliance yeah. you're not <laughs> worthy
0: you're yeah. not worthy exactly
2: <laughs> uh, and that's the thing too especially in the for the Times that I've been able to work with teenagers and work with younger writers is to say, like, if someone says to you that they don't understand something and you're just like, well, I understand it, it's like, well, you're not just the person, you're not the only person reading this. Someone else has to be able to follow this. So even if you think it's brilliant and you have to have a sense of what your story is and what you want to hold on to, I've certainly had arguments with editors where they're like, this doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, we're leaving it in. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Or like, I don't like this joke. Like I have so many song references that editors have said to me, like kids aren't going to get. And I'm like, I don't care. I want you them to be listening to Duran Duran. <laughs> like that's happening.
0: Yeah. Duran. Um, Duran.
2: It's like you, you pick your, you pick your mountain and you stand on the top. of it. Yeah.
0: Like this is it. I'll cut yeah. anything else, but not Duran Duran references. Sorry. <laughs> but I think
2: that that is, um, yeah, like that, that part of it is, and it's like the, the ego thing too, right? Like you're like, it mm. feels obliterating to have someone say that they don't get something. And it feels mm-hmm. obliterating and exhausting to think that you're going to have to explain it. But that mm-hmm. is a part of writing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Refreshing to remind us all.
1: Yes. <laughs> yep.
2: Okay. Christy has a
0: final question for you, Marie. Oh, good.
1: Yes, this is one that we ask all our authors. It's like, you know, to appease our mysterious foodies. Which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? Any of the characters in any of your books, what would you like to share a meal with and what would it
2: be? I feel like they, (laughs) I feel like the mom in this one summer, I feel like I really relate to that mom. And I think in part because. So much of that character was Jillian sort of bringing her own ideas to that. Um, Or, you know, she brings her own ideas to a lot of it, but there's just a couple like sort of salient features. I think she put her like in a bikini kill t shirt at one point. I was like, yes, I feel like I get this character so much more. Um, And my main meal that I always want to share with people is either brunch, because that's my favorite meal of the day, or Mm. dim sum, which is like a version of brunch. So Mm. if anybody has ever, like, that's why with COVID, I'm desperate for outdoor dim sum because that's really all i ever yeah. really dim
1: sum. oh so well good. we'll join you for that once you <laughs> get out to california because oh my oh. i love it too yeah that
2: is the great thing about california is outdoor eating is my friend we've been yeah. able to eat down
1: here too we you know uh-huh. so if everybody comes here too but
0: yeah south dakota right now Yeah, no, no outdoor eating well we, we do but it's not pleasant <laughs> okay, um, so if any of our listeners want to reach out to you or get some information about you, where's the best place to find you?
2: The best place to find me is Instagram. That is where I spend most of my time. Mm. Uh, so where I'm at, Mariko Tamaki, on Instagram. I am on Twitter, but I have a. T- I'm on a Twitter diet right now, so <laughs> I try to only go on when I have something very specific I have to do. And then I kind of cut out like promote this, this podcast. Exactly. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I feel like I, and I feel like the issue that I have sometimes with people DMing on Instagram, on Twitter, Instagram is that if it's like a really official question, I don't really like that as like a way to. Right. Um, so I also have a website. Uh, and there is a place where you can send me an email through that website. I have the worst track record of responding to those emails. Um, so yes. Be so
1: Instagram, the best way. <laughs>
2: yeah, Instagram, honestly, that is that is the best way. Well, awesome.
1: Well, it's Mariko, so it, it has been, I'm so glad you joined us. We had well, a great time. Thank you for
2: having me. This has yeah, been great.
1: Great. And we we just have to do another cheers at the end. Yeah, here.
2: Cheers. Hold on, I'm going to get Cheers. another spritz. I know. Do yeah. another oh, spritz. Yeah, get your fresh spritz. Yeah.
0: Look at that. Woo! I mean, <laughs> oh, look at Shout out to Cole and to
1: you.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode.
1: Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five star rating
0: or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen.
1: On gameofbookspodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode, and you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun
0: contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did
2: too. Cheers.